We've been studying through the topic of parenting. The Bible has a lot to say about it, doesn't it? And I'm thankful that it does, because parenting is a challenging uh, thing that we have to do, uh, that God gives us the opportunity to do. In our first week, in our first study, we looked at the verse from Psalms that says, Lo, children are an heritage from the Lord. They are a blessing. They are a gift from God and a wonderful, wonderful privilege, but we also know a big responsibility. And none of us is perfect. None of us are here as perfect parents, but rather parents wanting to follow in the example of Jesus Christ and what God says in his word of how he wants to parent. And uh, we have some wonderful examples in the Bible of how we should be parenting. And then we also have some examples in the Bible of how we shouldn't be parenting. And this, this evening, we are going to learn from one of those bad examples. You know you can learn from bad examples, right? Uh, maybe some of you grew up and you weren't the oldest child in your family, and you watched the oldest sibling get in trouble for things, and you said, hmm, I think that I shall not do that because I see what the consequences are from doing that. Or maybe some of you, you looked at them and said, no, if they did that, then I'm going to do the exact opposite. I don't know. But whatever it is, I hope that we can learn tonight from a bad example of things that we shouldn't do, but then, of course, take away from that things that we should be doing as a parent. Tonight, we're going to kind of adjust slightly. We've talked about parenting and discipline, dealing with little children, different things. We're going to talk about some things as your child is transitioning and be into teenage years, but maybe these things uh, can be helpful to you no matter what age your children are. Some people say about the teen years, well, it's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. But I'm not even a parent of a teenager yet, and I've been saying that for a long time, ever since they were born. Well, it's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. And yet, um, sometimes they don't grow out of everything that we want them to grow out of. Uh, some people might say, well, that's just what teenagers do. She'll mature. Or, well, all kids are this way. There's not really anything we can do to change that. I've heard that one. Or, well, we have to teach them to be able to make decisions for themselves. Well, there is truth in that, and we do need to teach them to make decisions for themselves. Uh, while we're teaching them to do that, sometimes the decisions they're making are not very good. So how can we help them with that? This culture that we live in today, and the typical family, or what we call family today, we often see things that it's normal for teenagers to do. Like some people think, well, it's normal for teenagers to lock themselves up in their rooms and say, no parents allowed, or to avoid close relationships, for teens to avoid close relationships with their parents, or to have prolonged rebellion or bad attitudes and just not be on speaking terms with their parents, or to have, act with immaturity and irresponsibility, or to have little to no interest in biblical things and godly things. As a youth pastor for a number of years, we, you know, I would talk with other youth pastors and see what folks are doing in other churches from time to time, and some people would say, well, they're just teenagers, they're not paying attention anyway, so just have a good time and hope that we can keep them. But the statistics are really sad 
uh, among youth groups in America and our ability to retain those teenagers into adulthood in our churches. Unfortunately, again, this is a pretty broad spectrum, broad way of looking at it, but the statistics are about 8 in 10 teenagers walk away from their faith of their parents after their teenage years. And we say, wait a minute. Is that what the Bible says? I mean, doesn't the Bible say train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he should not depart from it? So why are those numbers uh, like they are? Well, I think we could give a lot of reasons for it. One reason I would say is in some of those churches, the faith of their parents isn't really grounded in the Word of God. Uh, But unfortunately, that type of statistic isn't just for, we would say, churches that are social churches that aren't Bible-preaching churches. That number holds true in many, many, many Places. And even if it's not eight, even if it's six and ten walk away, even if we lose one, we, we hurt for that one, don't we? So what can we do about that? How can we fix that situation? What can we do for our own children and the children in our church and the teenagers that are meeting in the room just next to us tonight? How can we help them so that they don't add to that statistic? Well, in the Bible, we're going to look at a story tonight. This is a very sad story, but I hope it'll be an instructive story for us tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 3, in verse 13. Now maybe when you hear Samuel, you think, wait, I didn't think Samuel was a sad story. That's a really happy story, right? This little boy, his mother gives him to the service of the Lord, and he grows up serving God in the temple, and he hears God speak to him, and he becomes one of the great leaders in the nation of Israel? Well, that's true about Samuel, but it's not true about the man that Samuel worked under, the high priest at the time. His name was Eli, and he was the priest there in Israel. So he had a a great deal of authority, a great deal of responsibility, the responsibility to lead spiritually, And yet, I think of all the parenting stories in Scripture, this is one of, if not the saddest. Here's a man who had everything spiritually that you could have, at least mentally at this point in time. He he knew the truth forward and backwards, and yet his boys, his two sons, turned out to be some of the worst people that ever lived. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. What a sad commentary on his sons. They made themselves vile. We live in a world today where many young people grow up and we would say the things that they're getting into, the things that they're doing, the things they're thinking about, the wickedness that is around us in the world today, it's vile. It's wicked. It's awful. And how can we make sure that this doesn't happen? Well, we know that children have the ability to choose. We're not taking away their responsibility to do what's right. And they can make choices between right and wrong. But God has given children parents. He has given children to parents, and he has given parents to children so that they can help them to grow. So I think one of the things that we can see tonight about Eli that we're going to see as we look at his story is that he was a very passive parent. He, he held back in a lot of areas. He was often lazy as a parent. 
Sometimes we can suffer from lazy and laziness in our parenting. Sometimes we're just passive. That's, you know, that, well, that's my personality, right? Or sometimes we say things like, well, I'm just tired. I was in a session one time, heard an older pastor say he was encouraging younger pastors about their families. I was uh, at a conference with a friend of mine, and he and I, we'd been through a lot of sessions, and we were kind of tired, and we were ready to go back to the hotel and get a nap. And we thought, well, we're here at the conference. We ought to at least go into this last session, and then we can go take a nap once the sessions are all over. So we went into the session. It was an older man who had been pastoring for many years, and God had blessed in the ministry there at his church. And he began speaking about a pastor and his family. And talked about how important the family was to the pastor. And now if you lost your family, you really didn't have any ministry at all. Because your family is your most important ministry. This man Eli was a man who God had given him a ministry there in the nation of Israel. And yet because of his lack of parenting his boys, he lost much of the influence he has. And now the influence that he has is really from a negative side. We don't look at Eli and say, well, this was the guy we want to be. This is the pastor that I want to be like. This was the spiritual leader that I want to follow. No, it's the opposite. And one of the things the pastor in that session talked about, he said, as parents, sometimes we are afflicted with a disease called, and he said it has an acronym, TPS, the Tired Parenting Syndrome, that we're just tired and we're worn out. And so we don't put the energy into parenting as we should. So let's go through these tonight. Let's look at some things about passive parents. First one you see there in your note is passive parents defer parenting and spiritual development to institutions and environments. They defer parenting to somebody else, right? Well, I put my kids in the right place. I took them to church. They're in the youth group. They should be okay, right? And this is a danger, a trap that we can fall into as a parent. See, God didn't give children to the church primarily. He didn't give children to the government. He gave children to parents, to moms and dads. And so as parents, we have the responsibility to raise our children. It doesn't mean that we can't be a part of an institution or an organization. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take them to church. Those are all helpful things as a parent that we can rely upon. But the primary responsibility in parenting our children lies within us. It's on us. The sons of Eli grew up in and around the temple. They grew up in and around the service of the Lord. They were involved from a very young age in serving in the temple. They were probably on the church cleanup schedule. They were probably involved in helping with the various events and things that went on. We know as they got older, as the sons of the high priest, they were involved as, at working as priests themselves. They helped with the sacrifices. They did all kinds of things around the church. They grew up in a spiritual institution, and yet they were not spiritual at all. Because as parents, we can't defer our parenting and say, well, as long as they're in that place, that'll be good. Now, I'm thankful for good places. I'm thankful that in a few weeks, I'll be able to send my children off to a camp where they're going to hear God's Word and have good Bible influences put into them throughout the week. They're going to meet other children and other adults that love God and serve God and want to follow God, and that's a wonderful thing to help them. But I can't say, well, hope camp will fix them. No, camp isn't the answer. 
Jesus is the answer. And it's my responsibility as a parent to point them to the Lord. Another thing about passive parents, and and I hope you understand, these may not be 100% true about every passive parent, but these are generally true and can be true of many passive parents. The second thing there, passive parents excuse their own sin and their children's sin. Now, one of the sins of the sons of Eli is that they were standing there at the temple door as people came in to sacrifice, and they would bring their animals, right? And they would bring the animal they were going to sacrifice. And the law had said that the priest could take, after the sacrifice was done, there was a certain amount of meat that the priest could take to be able to use for their own food. That's how the priests were supposed to eat, right? From the amount that came in, there was a certain amount that the priest could take to be able to feed himself. That's where we get this kind of part of where we get the principle today why a pastor is taken care of financially by his church. As people take and they give to the church, the pastor takes from that. But if you give to the church and God's blessing, our church is growing, it doesn't mean, well, I just get to take 50% of everything that comes in. That's not how it works. That's not how God established back then. That's not how it works today. But see, these boys, as they came in, they said, you know what, we don't like being restricted to just that little amount of meat. In fact, we don't want that meat after it's been burnt and cooked on the altar. We want the good stuff. You know, we like it rare. So they were taking the meat ahead of time and taking as much as they wanted. They were abusing the system that God had set up and using it for their own benefit. And even though Eli knew about this, he allowed this to go on. And we don't know all the conversations that happened between Eli and his sons, but we do know the Bible is very clear to point out that Eli was a very fat man. So I think there's a good chance Eli was benefiting from the sins of his sons. And so he was willing to excuse his own sin and the sin of his children. Folks, as we parent, we must be careful to call sin what it is. When it's wrong, it's wrong. doesn't matter if I did it or my kids did it. It's wrong. And one of the one best things you can do with your children is admit when you do wrong. Because your kids will know. They're good at figuring those things out. I used to tell the parents of our teenagers when I'd have time with them, I'd say, teenagers have a great hypocrisy meter. They can smell hypocrisy a mile away. Now, no offense if you're a teenager in here, but sometimes teenagers are big hypocrites too, right? They, they want everything one way, but they don't want to be held to the same standard. But because that's true, look at it this way, parents. We can't say, well, the teens are doing the same thing. They're supposed to be the immature ones, right? We're supposed to be the mature ones. But I realize sometimes it is hard. We get tired. We have good old TPS, right? The tired parenting syndrome. And we don't want to get out and work and do what's necessary. We don't want to own up to the sin that's in our own life. And so we can excuse it. And because maybe we feel guilty about the sin that we harbor, we're not as quick to point out the sin in their lives either. Well... You know, (laughs) I kind of tend to do these things too, right? Well, I lose my temper, so, well, yeah, then your kids are going to probably lose theirs. It's just kind of how that tends to work, isn't it? Children often follow in the footsteps of their parents. So if we as parents are not going to be a passive parent like Eli was, we've got to get serious about our own sin and be honest about it and get right with God 
and get right with our kids if that's necessary, if we've sinned in front of them or sinned in any way that they could know whatsoever, so that we can parent our children better. Sometimes we only engage in trying to change their behavior or deal with their sin when it inconveniences us or embarrasses us, right? You see parents at the grocery store all the time when their kids start throwing a fit. Now they're going to parent. Well, what happened all the rest of the time, right? It takes constant and consistent parenting to be able to parent as God wants us to parent. Third thing, passive parents avoid confrontation and responsibility. This just goes right along with the previous one, right? They see everyone else at fault. Eli didn't confront his sons about their sin, even though he knew about it. Let me read our verse again. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. This wasn't a surprise to Eli that he was being, his sons were being judged for this sin. He knew about it. But he was passive. He didn't do anything about it. Passive parents avoid, avoid confrontation and responsibility. We do this with our own sins, right? We blame shift. We say, well, I'm not really that bad. It's not that big of a problem. Folks, if it's a little problem when they're little, it just gets bigger as they get bigger, doesn't it? It's just the way it works. Everything grows. Their legs grow. Their arms grow. Their torsos grow. And their sin tends to grow. So that's why it's so important, especially even this is kind of getting back pre-teenager, right? Deal with those things when they maybe seem little and cute right now. Because they won't seem so cute when they're 15 or 18 or 35, right? Deal with those sins when they're young. We must go through those confrontational times, even though they're difficult. It's hard to call sin, sin sometimes, isn't it? Because when we begin to, as we talked about this morning, Jesus, the light of the world, when we begin to shine light into dark places, sometimes it shows up things that we don't like very much. If we get serious about our walk with God and confronting our children and dealing with their sin, when you start shining light around, it just may reveal something going on in your own life. And you have to admit that as well. Don't avoid confrontation and responsibility. Sometimes it's embarrassing to confront, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it causes some friction. But think about this, folks. We've got at least one engineer in here. There's no forward motion without any friction, right? You've got to have some sort of push, equal and opposite reaction and all of that stuff. If we're going to move in a direction, it's going to require some amount of thrust in the other direction or friction pushing in the other direction, right? And so in, in a spiritual sense, when there's sin, we must deal with the sin. The Bible says that he did not restrain his sons. And because he didn't restrain them, they continued to go on in their sin. The Bible word to restrain means to weaken or to diminish, like putting out a light to restrain them. Eli should have removed his sons from influence and diminished their ability to carry on in their ways, but he didn't. Why? Well, he's the priest. His sons are priests. What would it say about the priest if his sons got removed from their positions of authority? 
Well, a wise parent is willing to pay the price. Sometimes because of the sin of your kids or the struggle that they have, you may have to pay the price for it. You may have to deal with the frustration, the embarrassment. You may have to go and sacrifice a bit. Wise parents go the extra mile. They'll stay up as late as necessary to deal with the problem if that's what it takes. Rearrange their schedules if needed. Take time off work. Skip a meal. Make major changes in life to facilitate change in the lives of their young people. I know some parents that have made major life changes like that because of a current situation that their young person was involved in or something that was going on. They dealt with the situation and God blessed. Josh and I were at a conference a couple weeks ago, and we got to see a little video, and I, I was just, I thought about showing it tonight, but I just didn't know who the makeup of our crew would be, and there's some very tough things that are dealt with in that video, but the wonderful thing about it, it's a story of redemption of a young man who got mixed up in drugs and all kinds of awful things as a teenage boy, growing up in a Christian home, by the way. But he was prescribed things by his doctor that were probably more than what should have been prescribed. And began, he got hooked on the painkillers, and then that one thing led to another. He ended up just having some really awful things went on. But his parents continued to pray for him. They continued to confront him. They continued to lovingly show him God's word. And they didn't just let him get away with sin and take care of him when... He continued to do wrong. They dealt with the sin properly. Now, of course, it's a wonderful story of him later on coming back to Christ and now serving him. And we got to meet the young man that God is using and has worked in his life. Wonderful story. But those stories don't often turn out very well. And sometimes it's because we are not willing or ready we don't want to deal with the consequences of confronting that. Why? When a parent confronts that kind of thing, it makes them look bad. They feel like, well, it's going to come back on me. Wise parents pay the price and deal with it. Passive parents have the truth, but don't always apply it to their heart. Right? If anybody knew the truth, it was Eli. What God had said and how Eli lived were two very different things. You know, I don't know everything that went on in this situation, but I know I've seen this type of thing in my life and in the day and age that we live. Sometimes um, we know what's right, and we apply it when everyone else is around. Maybe when we're at church, right? Behave, sit up. Don't run in church, you know. Don't crawl on the floor. Be polite to your grandmother, you know, whatever it is. But then when we're not around those people that we want to impress, we let our children live a different way. Passive parents have the truth, but don't apply it to their heart. We need to apply the truth that we must honor God and obey Him and His Word everywhere that we go. I remember as youth pastor, one time I had a couple boys come in, and these were these were guys that had grown up in a rough home, and they, we, we were seeing them begin to grow in the Lord. But we were talking about something, and they got all excited and agitated, and all of a sudden, one of them said a bad word. He used a curse word right there in the church. And the other one looked at him, he said, well, you shouldn't say that. We're at church. And I smiled at him, and I said, you're right. We shouldn't say that. But I said, the reality is, 
Just being inside this building doesn't somehow make it off limits and it's okay out there, but it's not okay in here. One time, I caught a couple other boys. They, they were up at the church helping me with stuff. And then a little bit later, they went out behind the church and so I followed them out there to see what was going on and they were out there smoking cigarettes behind the church. When I walked around the corner, I thought, well, this will be interesting, you know. I, rather than just let them sit out there and do it, I walked out there and... There, um, as soon as they saw me, they, you know, quickly tried to hide their cigarette in their hand. And so I just looked at them. I knew what they were doing, but they thought they were going to sneak by me, you know. And so I just struck up a friendly conversation with him. I wanted to see how long he was going to hold that cigarette in his hand. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible. <laughs> So we're just chatting, and I'm talking about the weather. Of course, we're out behind the building. Like, anybody would be there for any other person than to hide. Of course, you can smell it. You can see everything. But, folks, when we sin, we often aren't very smart about it. I mean, sometimes we're good and sneaky, but we're not as sneaky as we think we are sometimes. And he's sitting there, and that thing's, you know, cooking away there in his hand. And finally, I just I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, come on, guys. I know what you're doing. And they're like, what, what? <laughs> I said, I can smell it. I can see it. And they're like, whoa, we're 18. I said, I know you can legally do it. And I said, if you want to go and smoke, you can do that. I can't stop you. You can walk into any store and buy it. But I said, you've told me that you want to be a help at the church and you want to encourage the kids and, and you want to ride. We had a bus that would go pick up boys and girls that didn't have a ride to church and they, they wanted to ride on the bus and help pick up those boys and girls. These guys, they, I, I believe they wanted to do what's right. They just you know, got caught doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Some of you have lived there. You know what it's like. And so I wasn't there to beat them up, but I just said, guys. You can't keep doing this if you're going to try to be an example to the younger boys and girls. I'm not going to be able to let you continue serving where you're serving in our church if you're not going to be a good example to the boys and girls that are here because we're trying to help these kids, right? And they understood that, and they said, yeah, you're right. Well, we won't do it ever again. I said, well, that's between you and God. I'm glad that you tell me that, but I'm not going to be with you tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock, you know, when you walk by the corner store and you want to go in and buy some more cigarettes. But I said, and, you know, and they kind of had the idea, well, you know, we, we'll try to, well, you know, I said, listen, this is between you and the Lord. But I said, if it was really okay to do, why don't you just come back in my office and we can just smoke together there? And one of them goes, no, no, we wouldn't do that. We're not going to smoke in the church. And I said, well, if it's okay to do out here, it ought to be okay to do it in there, right? Just trying to help them think about things, right? But parents, as we parent our children, let's help them think about honoring God wherever they go. It's not somehow this magical place where we're inside this building that all of a sudden, right? And I know sometimes we do it to ourselves, right? I'm wearing a suit coat tonight, and I'm going to wear one tomorrow. Maybe I shouldn't, but sometimes we can let this type of thing turn into the other types of behavior. The way we dress comes into other behaviors as well, and our children get this idea that somehow that's where I have to honor God, but everywhere else doesn't really matter. And God wants us to honor him wherever. Passive parents have the truth, but don't apply it to their heart. Next one, passive parents focus on behavioral modification rather than heart transformation. 
Behavioral modification. Did I skip one? Oh, medication. Well, watch out for your medication, too, okay? It's supposed to say modification. I'm sorry. Behavioral modification rather than heart transformation. Do you understand what this is? We're not here just to change behaviors. We need God to change their heart. You can change behavior, right? You can reward good behavior and not reward bad behavior. You can tie your kid up so he can't. No, you shouldn't do that. But, you know, there's lots of ways to modify behavior, right? But, folks, if we're going to help our children, it's not just about controlling their behavior. It's about seeing real heart change in their life so that their desires change. How do you change somebody's desires? Well, that's a hard one, isn't it? You can change what people do, but changing who they are on the inside, that's something that God and only God can do. But as parents, we can help in that process as we point them to God, as we lead them faithfully to God, as we are honoring God in our own lives, as we show them what the difference of a, of a redeemed, forgiven, Christ-honoring person is and what that looks like, and we let them do that too. We be consistent. We own up to our faults. We deal with the sin when we've done wrong. And we consistently hold them to God's standard and point out the truth. And I try always as a youth pastor to deal with our teenagers and teach them things, kind of like what I was just explaining to you in the stories too. It's not just about changing their behavior. The real problem with those guys wasn't that they were smoking behind the church. The real problem with those guys was what was going on in their heart, right? Their motivation for why they did it. And it was my desire, not so much that they quit smoking, even though it's pretty bad for you, you shouldn't do it. That wasn't the biggest thing. The biggest thing was that their heart would change and that they would do what was right because they loved God and wanted to serve Him. Eli, it doesn't seem from reading this story, wasn't so alarmed by the wickedness of his son's hearts. He was embarrassed by their behavior and the complaints that he had received about it. And if you have a question about this, I just encourage you to get in 1 Samuel tonight or this week, and you can read the whole full story. But it covers a number of chapters, and there's a lot of different episodes or events that happened in the story that are recorded for us in Scripture. But if their sins weren't so public and embarrassing, it doesn't seem like Eli would have bothered about it at all. Next one, passive parents invest high energy into personal interests and career but little energy into parenting. Isn't that interesting? We could be passive about parenting and really purposeful and energetic about our own personal things, our career, our life, our, the way other people view us. That's very possible. 1 Samuel 2, verse 25 says, If a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Do you know who said that? It was Eli. Because he's being told about the judgment that's going to come on his sons and the wickedness of his sons. And he says, well, if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? That sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? But aren't you thankful that there are people that entreated and prayed for you? People that interceded to God on your behalf and the greatest intercessor of all, Jesus Christ? 
So you just say, well, we've sinned against God. I mean, I don't know what we could do. Pray. Talk to God. Encourage them. Challenge them to do what's right. Intercede. Intervene. Mediate. I believe the father should, Eli should have entreated God on his son's behalf. Eli wouldn't even intercede before the Lord for his own sons. How sad. Parents, are we too busy to pray for our kids? Are we too busy to go to God and say, God, help? Right? We, we, some of us spend a lot of time worrying about them. We spend a lot of, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. What are they going to do? Pray. Pray. You have the opportunity to talk to the one who can actually change their heart. Don't try to manipulate your children. It doesn't work. It often has the opposite effect of what we want, doesn't it? Pray for them. Entreat God on their behalf. Eli, we know, was a priest. That took a lot of work, a lot of time. You know, as far as we know, he was fulfilling at least the responsibilities to the place that at least the people hadn't kicked him out yet. Some of us put so much energy into our careers and what we're trying to be and we're trying to get, and we forget, wait a minute, the most important thing I have is my children. I have to be careful about this. I don't want to get so busy about the work at Arise Baptist Church that I forget about the most important ministry that I have to Shandy and Trevor and Micah and Elijah and Carissa and Caden. It's more important. And it's not just for the fact, and I understand what people say when they mean it, but it's not just, or what people mean when they say it, it's not just for the fact that, well, if I lose my family, I lose my ministry. No. If I lose my family, I lose my family. Your family is so important. Your children are an heritage from the Lord. Next, or, or when God pronounced judgment upon Eli's house, his response, the response of Eli, let's see, verse 18 of 1 Samuel 3. So he hears, Eli hears from Samuel what God is going to do. Samuel told him every wit, hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. Again, yes, all right. God is God, and he's going to do what he, what he says and what he's going to do. But it's as if he's just resigned himself to whatever will be. That's our next one. Passive parents ultimately resign themselves to whatever will be. Well, it's out of my hands. Folks, if we're honest, parenting as a whole is, we need God through the whole thing, right? It's not just in our hands, and that's a good thing. Because if parenting was all up to you or all up to me, we'd all be failures. But we don't want to have this mentality of just sort of throwing our hands up and saying, well, there's nothing. Sure, there may not be nothing you can physically do, but you can still pray. You can still give that child to God. You can still try to share the truth as God gives you opportunities. Wise parents never give up. They continue to pray for their children, fight for their children. And then the last one, hopefully we're all in the same one, the last one about passive parents. Passive parents will answer to God 
for their own neglect. And this is important, not their children's choices. Right? Your children are responsible to God for their own choices. When I sin, it's my sin. Right? Be a good thing for all of us to think about, right? When I sin, it's my sin. It's not their sin. It's not my parents' fault. It's not because of where I grew up. It's my sin. But parents will answer to God for their neglect in parenting because God gave the child to you. He gave the child to me. And so, passive parenting. So let's look at it on the positive side. Some of these we've really already covered, so I'll move kind of quickly through this. Eli, he was responsible for knowing about it and for doing nothing. So let's talk about engaged parents. Folks, parents who are focused and engaged on what God wants them to do. Engaged parents view themselves as the most important influence in their child's heart outside of God, right? God is the most important thing in their life, but God has given parents or children to parents so that parents can influence their heart. There's a wonderful book on parenting called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Why? Because when a shepherd has sheep, right, he's responsible for shepherding those sheep and guiding them and protecting them. Probably most of you know the 23rd Psalm. Some people call it the Shepherd's Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. All those different things as he provides the spiritual food and the water and the protection. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The idea of a shepherd is a wonderful thing. And, and this book is, that particular book is an encouraging book for parents on shepherding your child's heart. You are an incredibly important influence on your child's heart. You have more influence on your children than I do, than their Sunday school teacher does, than their teacher at school does. You have the potential to have more influence. Now, not minimizing any of those things, because the reality is this, folks, we live in a day and age where teachers can have incredible influence on children. And if you're a teacher, use that influence for the Lord, right? But if you've taught for any length of time, you know that there are some kids it's a real struggle with. Why? Because what's going on at home is not good at all. And so you do as best you can to try to invest in the lives of those young people, but you know you're fighting an uphill battle. Why? Because their parents have more influence on their hearts than you do. Right? It doesn't mean we should quit as teachers and give up and not try. It doesn't mean that I say, well, I'm just not going to preach this Sunday because I can't help anybody anyway. No, because we have God helping us. Right, But as parents, we have the greatest opportunity to influence our children's hearts. Secondly, engaged parents deal with their own sin before the Lord and then humbly lead their children to do the same. This kind of goes back to an early point that we talked about from passive parents, right? That passive parents don't deal with their own sin and they try to cover up the sin of their children. An engaged parent is going to deal with their own sin, right? I'm serious about parenting, which means I'm serious about my walk with God because without God, I can't parent like I should. So I'm going to deal with my sin. I may feel weak. I may feel lonely. I may feel like I'm struggling. I need God, and I'm going to be honest about it and deal with it so that then God can help me to be the parent that I should be. 
and help to lead my children to do the same. Thirdly, engaged parents employ compassionate confrontation and they take responsibility for their children. Oh, I know if you've taught or coached or done anything with children that are not your own, you've dealt with this, right? Other people, kids coming up or they're doing something wrong and then the parent doesn't back you up as the teacher or as the leader of the group and you're thinking, well, no wonder your kid acts the way they do, right? Because the parent's just the same. We need to deal with our children. We need to take responsibility for them. We were having a fun lunch today with the Padillas, and then we had some excitement down at the end of the table. I won't name names. My poor kids, I don't want them used so much as illustrations that uh, you know every little thing they've done. But we had a lot of uh, energy in being used up and and a lot of people in the restaurant were turning their heads to look at us as people were misbehaving over there and I I think Shandy listens better than I do and she heard it before I heard it and so she was up and out of her chair and over there taking care of the children but you know what I was encouraged about I don't think Shandy did it because I'm just so embarrassed about my kids as she spent time with them and talking to them and trying to help teach them What's the right thing to do? That's important. Because yes, we know as parents, you just love it when your kids scream in a restaurant, right? And everybody's staring at you. (laughs) But when we help to lovingly confront it and deal with it, right? Because it's not about behavior modification or behavior medication. Well, it's (laughs) it's about heart change. Engaged parents apply and live the truth seven days a week, not just on Sundays. Seven days a week. Oh, you mean on Monday when I haven't had my coffee yet? Yes. You mean on Friday when I'm tired from the week of work and I just want to sit down and put my feet up and the kids, Daddy, Daddy, we want you to do this. Folks, it only gets harder as they get older in the sense of it requires lots and lots of energy. There's a certain kind of energy I know that, is, that, that requires a ton when they're first born, right? When we were with Matt and Cindy last night, and as we bid them adieu, goodbye, and left, and as, as Matt's parents said, we'll see you later, and walked out the door, Shannon and I are thinking, all right, here they go, right? Buckle up. You just gave birth this morning, and now you get to nurse through the night, and you get to do all the other things, little baby Penelope sleeping and peaceful, and everything's great. I haven't heard from them today. You know, they weren't texting me, hey, the night was great last night. Why? Because I'm assuming there was probably some sleepless hours. So I know there's a certain amount of energy that's required when they're really young. But it requires just as much energy as they continue to grow older. And too many parents, as the kids get older, well, now they can feed themselves and Now they don't have to change their diapers anymore. And they're teenagers now, and we just want to sit back and sort of let them care for themselves and let the TV raise them and let the cell phone raise them and let their friends raise them. And we just have to be as much as engaged then as we were when they were just a newborn. It's just a little bit different in the way that we go about doing it, right? I'm so thankful for parents that stayed up really late sometimes talking to me about things and helping me through stuff when I was a teenager. And you know what? I still enjoy doing that stuff today. We go on vacation sometimes. My dad and I have done this many times now. 
I remember a couple years ago, we were on a trip, and my grandmother was on the trip with us. We enjoyed, we were all in the same house together. And uh, Grandma comes down in the morning to get her coffee, and she looks over at us, and she goes, What are you guys doing? Oh, we're talking. Have you been there all night? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because I'm thankful I have a dad that's engaged. And I'm 35, and he's still engaged. He's, he's disengaged in the sense that he doesn't tell me every little thing to do and all that stuff, but he's there when I need him. Why? Because he was there when I needed him when I was a teenager. He was there all the time. I know I'm putting him on the spot because he's sitting right here, but that's important. And I'm, I'm the way I am today. I have a lot to thank my mom and dad for. And you are too, right? And some of you say, well, there's a lot of things my parents didn't do right. All of us make mistakes as parents. But a lot of who we are today is because of what our parents were. And a lot of who your children will be someday is because of how you teach them now. You say, well, our home situation isn't great. You know, I'm doing it as a single parent. Do it in the strength of the Lord. But be faithful. Be engaged. If you can use outside resources, that's why we're part of a church, and that's the wonderful thing about the body of Christ, right? There's, there's strength from others that can be given, but you're the parent, so be the parent. Love them. I remember a, parents of teenagers calling me and asking me things like, well, my child's 14 now, and they don't want to go to church. Should I make them go to church? And I said, well, what are you going to tell them if they don't want to brush their teeth? And they're like, well, I'm going to make them brush their teeth. I said, well, then make them go to church. He said, well, I'm afraid when they get older, they're going to resent that because I made them do it when they were 14. I said, do you think they're going to resent brushing their teeth when they get older? I said, that's, that, that, you're comparing apples and oranges, okay? This isn't, that's not a good argument. And when it's your teenager making the argument to you, they may have an argument, but it's a lot of times not a good argument, right? Just because they can argue doesn't make them, uh, make them a good lawyer, right? They, they may have all kinds of things, and, and my little ones, oh, they start. I remember Caden came in a couple Sundays ago. I can use this one because it's funny. He comes up and says, Dad, I'd like to have a donut. I said, okay. He goes, five donuts. <laughs> He's a good negotiator. He starts high, you know. Five donuts. I said, no, one donut. Three donuts. No, one donut. <laughs> okay. He only got one donut. He figured, well, I'm three, so maybe I have three donuts. And if I start at five, maybe we can meet in the middle at three, you know, but it didn't work out that way. I remember many different times dealing with and encouraging and trying to help parents with teenagers in our youth group. I've spent time in court with teenagers as they were on trial for things that they had done. I visited my teenagers in my youth group in jail. Um, we've had all kinds of experiences dealing with young people. We've helped, tried to help young people and encourage them from God's Word that were dealing with struggling with their sexual identity, all kinds of really deep, hard struggles. But in almost every single case, when you had the ones that really, really, really struggled, you could find things that went right back to parenting. Parents that were passive, that allowed things to go on. And I don't mean it was purposeful, like they were trying to hurt their kids, but sometimes they were in some of those cases. But 
Sometimes it was just they just didn't care very much. And they let somebody else raise their child or they pawned them off on everybody else all the time. I'm tired or I work a lot. Folks, your children are a gift from God. You can, you can, if you've got to get another job, get another job. If you have to live in another place, live in another place. If you've got to quit something that's really important to you, it's not more important than the children that are God's gift to you. They're just more important. Be serious about the responsibility that God's given you as a, as a parent. Apply and live the truth seven days a week, not just on Sundays. Engage parents target heart transformation, not just behavior modification. Engaged parents invest their best energy into marriage and family. Their best energy. I mean, the first place we give our best is the Lord, right? And then God first, and then my family second. That's the, that's the order. My work and, all, and my personal self, you know, taking care of me, having me time. I'm all for getting rest and relaxation. But your me time and... And all that's not more important than your children are. Get all that other stuff in order and then get rid of maybe some extra stuff so you can have some personal time and relax and get the rest that you need. But your children are more important. Engaged parents never lose hope or give up in resignation. In a sense, Eli did, didn't he? Well, this is the way it's going to be. He resigned himself. Don't give up hope. Why? Because... We have the Lord. Recently, was involved in doing some marriage counseling. And one of the people that we were counseling said, I'm really sorry that you're having to spend so much time with us. And I said, well, the reason we're willing to do that is because I have hope. I have hope that God changes people. He changes hearts. God restores marriages. He fixes things that are broken. And so the only reason I'm spending time with you is not because I feel like, boy, I just come to me and let me fix your marriage. I have all the answers. No. I said, but God does. And so if I'm sharing the truth of God's word with you, I believe he can change and will change you if you will submit to him. We have hope. And as parents, we have hope because we have the Lord. If your, parent, if your children are way beyond teenage years and you say, well, they're far away, you still have hope because you have the Lord. If they're really young and you're not sure what to do with them, you have hope because you have the Lord. God gives us strength. God's given us his word to give us wisdom. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and convict us. We have hope. Engaged parents finally recognize their ultimate accountability to God as final authority. The teen years can be wonderful years. They can. We live in a society of people, oh no, they turned 13, right? I remember dad teasing us. Well, he's 13, we're going to put him in a box, feed him through a hole in the top. I said, well, dad, what happens when I turn 18? He said, we plug the hole. We can be scared of the teenage years, or we can say, you know what? This, this is children that are trying to grow to become adults. And we can help them be successful and 
productive adults in the service of the Lord. But you know, teenagers can serve God right now. We've seen an example of that this week at our church, haven't we? I was sharing with the teens yesterday. I'm going to read it again today. I was sharing with the teens last night. I got a text from somebody in our church last night who's only been coming a few months since Easter. And this lady said, This was an amazing day for everyone. Talking about yesterday, the carnival and all that went on. Thanks to all who put this together. Not only did the kids have a great time, but the adults as well. I loved watching the kids play with each other rather than be hooked on phones, tablets, and TV. It was a celebration to remember. Thank you. Wow, that's interesting. That's wonderful. That's an encouragement. And teens are like, wow, so I can impress the adults just by not being on my cell phone? Well, it's a pretty low bar, I know. (laughs) But teen years can be wonderful years. You have a great capacity. Teenagers have a great capacity to learn and process information, figure out things. They have a great ability and a lot of energy. They're growing at the same time, so they still need a lot of sleep and all of that kind of good stuff. But there's so much wonderful things that are happening. Think about it. David successfully fought against Goliath. He was a teenager. Joseph was the leader of all the servants in Potiphar's house. I think he was about 17. Here's some non-biblical examples, but did you know the man who invented the Braille system? How blind people read? He was 15 when he invented that. Private first class Jack Lucas in the U.S. Marine Corps earned the Medal of Honor five days after his 17th birthday during the Battle of Iwo Jima. He'd already been a Marine for three years. Now, he kind of snuck in early. John D. Rockefeller, some people, you know, who, if you adjust for inflation, some say he's the wealthiest businessman ever. He started his first business when he was 19. Steve Jobs began collaborating with Steve Wozniak on what would become Apple computers when Jobs was just 19. Bill Gates co founded Microsoft at 19. Teens have great potential, and not just for making lots of money starting things. Those guys weren't making lots of money back then, by the way. They were in garages, sweating it out, and working hard. But it's such a wonderful, wonderful time. It can be. But it requires engaged parents who are serious about helping their young people walk with God and point them to God. The people often say that those decisions that are made during the teen years have some of the greatest impact on the lives of people for for the rest of their lives. I used to tell our teenagers this way, because I'm kind of a math guy. I enjoyed math in school. So if you ever, you know, in geometry, when you draw an angle or a line on a piece of paper at a particular angle, you know, you can start out, and if you have a horizontal line, uh, then you draw another line above it, starting at the same, you know, at the beginning point there, and you carry it on. Even if it's just a tiny degree of difference, if you extend that line out, Way into the distance, what happens? Those two lines get further and further apart, don't they? And that's why, in one sense, the teen years are so important because they're making those decisions. At that point, the the points seem really close together and the angles don't seem to matter all that much. But just a little bit of difference over a lifetime can make a huge change. 
And so as we're helping our teenagers when they're young, as our children who maybe are not yet teenagers, we're trying to help them make those decisions to point them to Christ so they get angled in the right direction right from the beginning so that they end up where the Lord wants them to be someday. Help, my child is his teenager. Thankful that God's word has help, aren't you? And the example of Eli and his sons, um, take some time, read through that story. A lot of sad things. Judgment for that family. His sons were killed in battle. Eli himself died when he heard the news. Very sad. Our children are important to us. No greater treasure that the Lord has entrusted us with besides the gospel than our children. So let's use, let's use the gift that God has given us and the opportunity that God has given us to impact them. Because remember the other passage we looked at that first week? As arrows are in the hand of the archer, right? So, so children are in the hand of a father. Happy is he that hath his quiver full of them. That we have the opportunity to impact far beyond where we can reach and where we will live and where we will be. And we have the opportunity to do that through our children. And whether it's one or five or ten or however many children the Lord gives you, let's use them for the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, help us now. Maybe as we discuss this briefly, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.